There's got to be an explanation to all these UFO sightings, right? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. Welcome to the newest episode of Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. I'm your host, Jason Fraley, picking the brains of the top filmmakers, musicians, and artists of our time. Max Weinberg of the E Street Band performs this Saturday and Sunday at Wolf Trap in Virginia. I spoke with him in 2019 about his drumming career from Bruce Springsteen to Conan O'Brien. Oh, it's nice to join you today, Jason. Thanks very much. You're calling it Max Weinberg's jukebox. So what all does that, you know, entail set list-wise? I've actually had young teenagers today who have been brought to my show. I see them maybe uh, beforehand, and, and they'll ask me what a jukebox is. You don't really see too many anymore. A jukebox, of course, is where the uh, audience puts in their requests for the songs. So what this is, is it's all 60s and 70s songs as requested by the audience right there in real time. It's music that I grew up with, uh, that was the soundtrack of my life, and as it turned out, has become the soundtrack of all of our lives, everything from the Beatles to the Stones to Bruce to all the English Invasion acts, the Beach Boys, you name it, we play it. it it's a fun show. It's not a concert. It's a party. That's the idea. That's, we have a revolving... <laughs> video list of about 300 songs and people just yell them out and i sometimes a song will prompt a story from me uh that uh, has either a personal memory or i might draw a parallel between for example a song i played drums on maybe on a bruce record that i lifted something from another record Uh, so it's, it's more than music it's a little bit of uh you know my history as well are you doing vocals or is someone else up there doing vocals no i'm not doing vocals there's a famous story of me not singing in the E Street Band. When I auditioned for Bruce in 1974, the ad that I answered said wanted no junior Ginger Bakers, which was kind of a snipey way of saying he wanted an accompanist. But it also said drummer must sing. So, of course, when I went down to the audition, I said, well, naturally, I sang. So, about 65 drums audition, I got in the E Street Band, and I was game. Vinny Lopez is a great singer, and he was the original drummer, and he sang. Uh, I was game. I would sing background vocals. About two days into my uh, tenure with Bruce and the E Street Band, Bruce came over and said, you know, Max, uh, you can just drum. So uh, <laughs> that was the end of my singing career, and uh, that was 45 years ago. So it kind of all worked out. That's awesome. So that was 74. That's when you actually auditioned for Bruce. Take me back even before that, growing up in New Jersey. At what age did you get your first drum kit, or you know, what bands were you listening to at the time that made you want to get into music? I want to know your roots of how you got behind the drum kit. Uh, well, my first drum hero was DJ Fontana, who was Elvis's Elvis Presley, that is. His longtime drummer played with him from 1964, recorded with him until 68. And uh, 
I saw Elvis on the Milton Berle show. It was a couple of months before the Ed Sullivan show in 1956. And they had a, a lot, one camera shot of Elvis and his three backing musicians. And I went right to the drums, that drum roll in Hound Dog. It just kind of grabbed me. And, you know, people point to what was their first inspiration. That was my first inspiration. I'd already had rhythm banging on things. And when I was uh, about seven, which would have been about 1958, I could play a little bit of a march on a drum. I didn't have a drum, but my mother was a bit of a stage mother and went up to a band leader at probably a wedding that we were at or a wedding or a bar mitzvah and uh, asked if I could sit in. So I did. I played uh, When the Saints Come Marching In, a little bit of a march. And the guy got such a kick out of it, he started hiring me as a little novelty act for his uh, club dates in northern New Jersey. And uh, yeah, I worked off and on with him till I was about 14 and started playing in rock bands when I was maybe 11 or 12. And that yeah, just kind of went on from there. So by the time I met Bruce in the E Street Band at 74, I had ever done every kind of job you could think of from cruise ships in the Caribbean to strip joints. I played in the circus. I played a lot of club dates. I was pretty versatile as a drummer, which was coincidentally what Bruce wanted uh, for the E Street Band, someone who could play a little bit of everything. How did you hear about that audition? Did you just see, like, were you already a fan of Bruce, and then when you saw it, you said, oh, my God, I got to do it? Or, like, did you see it listed somewhere, or how did you find out about it? Well, I wish I could say I was a fan. I had no idea who Bruce was at the time. Uh, I was in a band. At the time, I was going to college. It was uh, 1974. I was going to Seton Hall University in New Jersey. I was playing in the Broadway show Godspell at night. And I was playing in a, you know, whatever club bands I could play in, whether they were, you know, sort of legitimate music or rock bands. And one of the bands I played with, two of the guys knew the recording engineer for Bruce up in Rockland County, New York, which is near Nyack, New York. And I didn't know Bruce and the E Street Band. It was called Bruce and the E Street Band at the time. I didn't know him. I hadn't heard them. And the one keyboard player, both of these keyboard players in the band that I was playing in, auditioned, didn't get the job. And about a month later, they said, you know, these guys are still looking for a drummer, Max. Maybe you ought to call up. So I did. I called. This was a blind call. And I called their management, Bruce's management office time, and, uh, you know, made an appointment to go down and play. And that was 45 years ago. So I hadn't heard any of the records. But, you know, the first impression I had was this was an individual who knew exactly what he was. I'd never experienced anything like that. And it was not only the way Bruce projected his personality and his music in the audition, it was the way that Clarence Clemens, Gary Talent, and Dan Federici, the three guys who were in the East Street Band who were at my audition, uh, it was the way that they responded to Bruce. So that was pretty spectacular, and uh, I must say it was not, it wasn't a terribly hard audition because Bruce was so definite about what he wanted, and that made it, you know, I was used to taking direction, playing in all these sort of, you know, what they used to call legitimate drumming, like playing for shows and dancers and singers and things like that. Bruce was a phenomenal band leader. I noticed that right away. Uh, I guess the biggest impression was that for the first time in my life, I had somebody setting up my drums. <laughs> which that made a big impression on me uh, for 16 years prior to that. You know, I lugged my drums around and I set them up, which was fine by me. But uh, it was such a shock to actually have somebody doing that. But you go through all the tours we did and uh, uh, they were all fantastic. You know, you, you uh, in the, the, those early days, you know, I, 
I guess that first one maybe was kind of special because we we were together twenty four seven. We were driving around in a van, and we graduated to a motorhome. But so we were really in close quarters for many, many, many months on end, and um, so it was a real bonding experience. During that initial run, that couple decade run there, did you have a favorite tour that you did? To tell you the highlights, there were so <laughs> many. I mean, you know, certainly on the Born USA tour, that was uh, it was both fun. It was extremely rewarding. You know, all that hard work. You know, obviously musically, it always paid off. But that that tour really kind of shot Bruce and the band into the stratosphere, and that was fun. Tunnel Love Tour was interesting. I, I, what stands out for me on that was the opportunity to play in East Berlin a year before the Berlin Wall came down and wow. get a, a taste of the, for about two days, the bleakness of, of being actually in a communist country. And uh, so that was very interesting. But, uh, yeah, it's been a uh, really a pageantry of unbelievable experiences. Uh, uh, you know, even the, uh, the so-called, quote, breakup, which... Uh, turned out to be an 11-year hiatus, so I guess you could call it a breakup, but in a way, it was this big interruption where all of us were forced, it was a good thing, all of us were forced to, you know, fly on our own, and uh, as disconcerting as that can be, it leads to a tremendous amount of growth. Uh, had that not happened, I would have never ended up for 17 years on uh, late-night television, which was a real phenomenal opportunity for me. And one of the best things about that experience was I was able to be a full-time dad to my two children. And uh, I'm real excited to play. I'm always excited to play Washington for a number of reasons. Uh, a lot of great memories of playing all over Washington. But uh, my daughter, Allie, Allie Rogan, is going to be there, and she's going to sing a couple songs. She's a wonderful singer. She's a journalist, but she uh, uh, she's a really in our family she and my son jay they're the ones with the uh, real musical talent well he's the drummer of slipknot right yeah jay's the drummer of slipknot and uh ali is a uh, uh wonderful journalist who now is with uh, pbs news hour she was with abc she was with nbc working at the obama white house so uh, we're uh, uh so the you know the real fun thing for me was having a full time job in New York, but being home every night. Plus, that makes you you know a household name on television sets all over the country in a way that maybe if someone doesn't come out to a Bruce show, you know you're reaching an even bigger audience. So that's kind of cool. Any memories of the Conan days? Because um, I God that you're talking about some of the sketch comedy jokes of my like <laughs> the soundtrack of my life, if you will, of all those those late night yeah. skits. That still we still quote them. You know Max Weinberg seven Max it was always the you know the signature we kicked the show off on. But um, how cool was it that eventually he started kind of weaving you guys in as sort of a comedic foil in some of the bits, too? That was wonderful. You know, the late-night television scene is, is radically different than it was when we were in, at NBC in New York uh, at the late-night program, and even at the Tonight Show. It's very, very different now. And uh, it was a wonderful wonderful opportunity to explore that, you know, that side of me that, uh, you know, Bruce in his book refers to my sense of humor, but I guess it came out in some pretty crazy ways on TV. Uh, and I think one, one thing people don't realize is it's a job like that is for everybody, particularly the writers, the comedy writers is really hard. I mean, it's a, it's a, what's, it's a grind, but what's great about it is you get to show off at night on TV. I had a wonderful uh, band who worked for me who were dedicated and fantastic entertainers and musicians. Uh, so it was, uh, it was a lot of fun. It's like any job, it's got uh, ups and downs, but the interesting thing about it was it was different every day, different guests, 
different music to play. It was also a wonderful way for me to have these six great musicians at my disposal every day to practice stuff that I didn't know how to play that, you know, half the time wouldn't even end up on TV. It was just a way for me to kind of workshop. It made me much, much more versatile than the years that I spent early on in the the E Street Band. How did you and Conan come up with that little, where you're hitting the cymbals, you're hitting the drums, and he's doing that little, it's almost like pull strings on his hands, and then he snips it, and his hair and his pompadour fluffs. How did you guys come up with that? All right. So much of that stuff just happens spontaneously. And with that, the one thing I did not do, which all the other late-night drummers seemed to do, which is why I didn't do it, was I didn't do rim shots, mm-hmm. which became a funny bit uh, where I was the reluctant drummer. And you had to specifically ask me to do a rim shot. And it became over 4,000 shows. It became a comedic element. But when the, you know, through my experience of working with dancers and, and musical comedy of Broadway type shows and Bruce, where we started to play bigger and bigger uh, arenas, I would, it's really a James Brown thing. You know, the drummer accents a, uh, a physical movement, uh, but it's a vaudeville thing. It goes back to the very beginnings of organized music in, a, in American uh, musical comedy and uh, light opera, where the percussion instruments accent some sort of physical, they call it business. And, you know, if a dancer kicks, you hit a cymbal. And um, so when he did that, the first time he did it, I just kind of followed him doing it, you know, uh, and it would just add a little emphasis. And, you know, also you're on at 1230. So there is a component of the audience who might be dozing off. So the little bit of physical, uh, you know, accent that I could provide with the drums might shock somebody into waking up also. It was such a great run, so many great bits in the the late, late slot. When he bumped up to to The Tonight Show, NBC dropped the ball on that and got freaked out over ratings or whatnot. I thought you guys were plugging along fine, but how did you make the decision um, not to travel with him over to CBS? Was it just you you were getting involved with E Street again and wanted to go back out on tour, or what was that decision like? Well, the show ended in January of, let me get this, 2010. And at that point, I had done it from, uh, we debuted September of 93, but it started in May. So that was uh, 17 years. There was a lot of uh, E Street projects in the pipeline. And I was living in New Jersey. And, uh, you know, I had a a house in Los Angeles. So it was a real natural kind of progression to uh, almost like taking a fork in the road. You know, Conan went one way, I went another. And the TBS program, which I, I popped in one night. I was in L.A. to see Silknot, and my wife and I went over there, and it was kind of like, not that I'm comparing myself to Bob Hope, but it was like when Bob <laughs> Hope would, you know, drop in on Johnny Carson unexpectedly, and uh, and that was really fun, but it wasn't completely unexpected. You know, I said I was going to be out there and said it would be great, you know, if you could do a bit, so I did a bit, and, uh, you know, that was great. In TV, you know, you sort of, it, it really, you can see the progression of my hair from the first show we did to the last one I did and it got progressively grayer because it's it's really a lot of work. It's much more work than the hour you might watch on TV and in right. fact it's become a very different with the internet. You know we started that show pre-internet so it was it was linear and now it's sort of you know you're looking for the, uh, the one sound bite that you can use so it's quite a different landscape in television and uh, bands have uh, uh, you know the, the sort of typical setup of the, the host, the band leader sidekick to some degree that's uh to a large degree actually that's fallen by the wayside you know we caught as it turns out the last 
years of the golden age of late night television, uh, that particular show. The high point of the, uh, the Tonight Show for me, frankly, was seeing my name in the same sentence as Doc Severinsen. That was a mind blower. <laughs> you know, there's been like five or six, I forget the number of band leaders on the Tonight Show, and uh, to see my name in the same sentence as uh, a list, you know, of Doc Severinsen and Skitch Henderson, for someone of my age, that was something I, you know, that was just off the charts. Well, I'm glad that you guys, you know, got the band back together, as the phrase goes, and have been touring and touring again uh, with Bruce and the E Street Band and, uh, you know, get inducted in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Uh, that's got to be pretty rewarding there, sir, after all those years. What was that like to finally go in? Well, I've had so many of my young, you know, rock and roll fantasies uh, come true through the years. Uh, yeah, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction ceremony was very nice. It was sweet. It was a bit bittersweet because uh, uh, Danny and Clarence weren't there, obviously. And, uh, you know, you can't talk about the E Street Band in no way, shape, or form without Clarence Clemens and Dan Federici. But, uh, you know, it's, uh, it, was, it was very nice. And, uh, you know, it was uh, great having my family there. It's a star-studded affair. And my understanding is we went on too long, but I think we sucked up all the oxygen in the room. There were so many people on the stage. It was like an hour of, of speeches, but uh, uh, it was a fun night. I've actually gotten to catch you guys. I think it was at Nap Park, and um, I'm just blown away that you've been at it for decades, and you're still, you know, you're not showing any signs of slowing. You're still putting on those famous four-hour shows. Well, it, the length of the shows, obviously, and the song selection is not up to me or anybody else but Bruce. And uh, <laughs> if he wants to play four or five hours, I'm up for it. I have the physical stamina. I keep. I never stop playing. I mean, I'm. I've done 130 shows with my jukebox band. Uh, which largely is to keep drumming. Uh, yeah. yeah, I don't sit home and just, uh, you know, look at my uh, Hall of Fame trophy, you know. I've got to be out there working. <laughs> I enjoy it, and I enjoy playing with the uh, the guys and, and, and uh, entertaining an audience and giving them more than what they bargained for. Uh, but, a lot, you know, uh, with the long hour shows, I somehow seem to be built for that, and there's a certain momentum that builds up. I don't get tired for some reason. Right. I don't know exactly why that is. I think maybe physically I've adapted to it. Uh, I, and I don't stop playing. If you've seen our shows in the last five years, there's always these uh, between-song drum solos for hours, and I've learned how to do that. So, you know, a lot of it has to, uh, to do with experience and discipline and finesse and a rock and roll spirit, which is what's been inhabiting me since the time I saw Elvis with DJ Fontana. I wanted to do that. Adrenaline, baby. <laughs> you know, the, I guess adrenaline is a small part of it, but the adrenaline, you know, just getting hyped up, that can actually detract from it. Um, and I've talked yeah. to professional athletes about this. You've got to really control that hypey factor of the chemical reaction in your body. Adrenaline certainly helps, but willpower helps more. Otherwise, how do you explain, right. you know, the 1981 Bjorn Borg, John McEnroe tennis match that went on for like eight or nine hours? It's got to be more than adrenaline. It's know-how. It's willpower. It's the desire. It's the desire yeah. to push yourself further than you think you're able to push yourself. And right. you surprise yourself, actually, on a physical level. It's physical and it's mental. And the other thing I recommend is getting a lot of sleep <laughs> if you're going to play drums with Bruce Springsteen. Get a right. lot of sleep. 
you've toured and done these four-hour shows forever, but if there's one song that you crave being on there because you just absolutely love it, and if it's not on the set list, you're bummed out. Well, I uh, I take them one song at a time. I, I don't really even, you know, the set lists are actually, you probably heard, they're kind of irrelevant. <laughs> he writes out a set list of 30 to 33 songs, and then right away he changed at least 15 or 16 of them, so right. you really have to pay attention. I love playing every song, you know. Uh, I love playing the songs that I didn't even record, you know, because they're all of a type. They're all Bruce Springsteen music. Um, it's been said, and I've said it, that Ramrod is a particularly fun song to play because it's such a simplistic beat, but it's a particular groove. The beat is easy. The groove is not. And when I play it in the stadium, you can see people just physically moving that and <laughs> to that beat. And that's really, you know, it's usually a place in the show where I can kind of look around and I can see, you know, the multitude of people, uh, uh, you know, digging that song and that beat. Um, but I try to give all my uh, abilities to every single song, every single time. I take them. That way it never gets boring. I mean, I've played Rosalita a thousand times, but every time I play it, it may be the first time you hear it. And right. uh, it may be the first time you hear Bruce sing it. So he does he doesn't ever lay back. And I've in the forty five years I've known him and played with him, I that is such a constant is that he pushes and pushes and pushes to be better all the time. So when you're around someone like that, it, almost by osmosis, you do that as well. And you do it by by leading rather than directing. Um and it you know, so I've learned a lot. It's been a life, a life lesson, not just a phenomenal musical experience, uh, you know, playing with Bruce and the E Street Band. And, uh, uh, you know, it really is about the stamina you build up. That's physical. You know, I, I, I work out relentlessly and I'm in good shape and I watch what I eat. But it's also the willpower that, you know, I've gotten it down to every beat. Every single beat I play matters. And whether it's with my own bands or with Bruce and the E Street Band, uh, the audience deserves no less. And hope we get a big audience for Max Weinberg's jukebox. Uh, Max Weinberg, thanks so much. You've been great. My pleasure. Thanks so much for joining us on Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. Remember to hit the subscribe button and give us a five-star rating if you like what you hear. We'll see you next time. I wanted to take a second to tell you about an app I really enjoy. Living in the D.C. area is great, and Podcast D.C. gathers all of the local shows that I like all in one local app. Health, sports, local news, politics, and so much more. Podcast D.C. is the new local app with hundreds of D.C. area podcasts to choose from. I can earn exciting rewards just for listening and share the podcasts I love instantly. Available in the App Store or in Google Play, listen local with Podcast D.C.